Well, good morning again, uh, New City Church, and we are going to be starting uh, a second part of our series, I should say, in Romans. Uh, if you remember before Lent, we spent some time in Romans looking at the first five chapters of Romans, and today we're going to pick that series up. We're going to be going through the end of, of May and finishing up Romans, the second part of the series, and we're going to be looking at chapter six uh, this morning. Uh, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter six, and we've been looking at uh, the first five chapters of Romans, just as a quick review, is really about the implications. If I could sum up um, what Romans, uh, the first five chapters is, is, I shouldn't say the implications, it's the what has Christ accomplished for us in the gospel, these first five uh, chapters, that we were dead, Paul would use the language, in Adam, and now we're alive in Christ, that we were dead in sin, but now we're alive in, in Christ. We used to worship uh, God's creation, but now we worship the creator. Um, and so Romans 6 is going to be a shift into understanding what are the implications of those realities. How do we live uh, in the the power and the life and the and the dynamite of the gospel? Like, what does that look like to live as, and I think it's very timely, as resurrected people? Like, what are the, the implications of the resurrection of Christ in our lives? And Paul's going to talk about that very specifically here in chapter 6 of Romans. So if you have a Bible, turn me to Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at the first uh, 14 verses here this morning and uh, and go from there. So Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin." Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members of sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And so this is God's word for us uh, this morning, and and I love the 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 implications, the realities of the gospel that Paul has spent so much time in the first five chapters of his letter, helping the church understand what Christ has accomplished for them, that they are alive in Christ. Look what He's done. Look what He's accomplished for you in Christ. That you are justified by faith. That 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 no one deserves God's grace, and all fall short of the glory of God. And yet God has come and found us, and rescued us, and redeemed us. Uh, by his blood and by his his resurrection. <clears throat> and so we're going to look at the really the implications of that and the realities of that and the the dynamics of that of 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 how does God create in us? How does God or I should say how does God change us? How does he change our character? How does he change our our behavior and the ways in which we live in light of what Christ has uh, accomplished uh for us? Because the, the question of all questions, and it's probably one I get as a, as a pastor, and, and maybe you've even heard with friends or family or, or neighbors, is, well, if our faith is in Jesus' all grace, 
There's nothing we can do to earn the salvation. There's nothing that we could do to, to make ourselves right before God. It's all grace. It's all by faith. Well, what motivates us to live any differently? Why not just keep on sinning? Why not just keep on sinning? Because we know God is going to keep on forgiving. So let's, let's make God's grace look even better. And so we, we hear that all the time. And maybe you even thought that yourself. Well, it doesn't really make sense. Why do I have any motivation to live a good life? And the same question is asked right here 2,000 years ago in verse 2 of Romans 6. It says, what shall we say? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? And then Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so the, the question floating around this, this church 2,000 years ago was, well, if this gift of grace and gift of righteousness is ours and there's nothing we can do to earn the salvation, well, why don't we just sin like crazy? Because God's still going to forgive us. What, what motivates us to do that? And yet Paul says very clearly, very poignantly, no, you are dead to sin. Dead to sin. And, and this little phrase, dead to sin, is, is actually the key to understanding Romans chapter 6, what's going to be said uh, this morning and, and what's going to be said in, in weeks to come of, of what does it mean that we're dead to sin? And so how do we experience the, the gospel realities, all that Christ has done in the first five chapters, all that Christ has done for us, we just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. What are the implications of that? How do our, how do, how do we experience more of the realities of this resurrected life? And Paul's going to help us understand more of that here at the first part of, of chapter six. And so, so let's look at that for, for a few moments here together. So, so first I want to start with just a foundational truth that Paul's hit on already here in verse two is, is this simply this, is you died to sin. You died to sin. Now to attack that, to look at that, to understand that, I want to look at really five ways that, five ways Paul doesn't mean, uh, what he doesn't mean here, I should say, I'm saying it in the negative, I'm stuttering over my words, but um, what Paul doesn't mean by you are dead to sin, because I think that will help us understand what he actually is saying, because this has been interpreted many different ways. There's been many commentators and Bible teachers, and, and people have wrestled with this text for thousands of years, and, and, I, and I covet this very, very humbly. Um, but, but I want us to understand what, what Paul's not saying here by the realities that we are dead uh, to sin. And so the first one is that we no longer want to sin, or sin has no power or influence over us. Now, now that may say like, wait a minute, we still want to sin? Well, actually we do because look at the way Paul's actually addressing, uh, addressing these people 2000 years ago and, and addressing us today is obviously there's still a sin problem because in verse 12, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, uh, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. And, and he, and he, he goes on, um, in, in chapter seven, verse 18, it says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So Paul is actually addressing the sin reality because he realizes we still have the power of sin and the influence of sin over us. So it is a problem. That's why he's writing these words down, influenced by the Holy Spirit, is because sin is still an issue for us, is that, that, that we still want to sin and we still have the influence of sin, the residue of sin um, over us. So it can't mean that. I think it also can't mean is that we no longer, secondly, we no longer ought to sin. Sin is not a good idea for the Christian. You could say it this way, that the first interpretation goes too far. This idea doesn't go far 
enough. Because here's what Paul's saying. He's saying we died to sin. Not, it's not a good idea that we don't sin or, or Christians uh, shouldn't want to sin, but we, sh- we, we died to sin. It's, it's not we ought to die or, or we will or are going to die. It's f- finally, completely, we died to sin. It's done. It's finished. It, it shouldn't be our, our reality anymore which is very similar to the third, I would say, not. What this doesn't mean, what dead to sin doesn't mean. It also doesn't mean that we're slowly moving away from sin, that sin is gradually weakening in us. And the reason I say that is because the actual Greek tense of this phrase here in Romans 6 is a aorist. I know you guys all knew that. But in the aorist tense in Greek, it's a it's an action or an event that happened in the past, a one-time action or one-time event that is done, that it's finished. And that's the tense that Paul uses here. So when he says we're dead in sin, he means we're dead. It's done. It's it's over with. There, there's not a continually weakening. There's not a progressively weakening. It's it's done. It's finished. Its power has has left uh, the building. Dead means dead. It's definitive. A fourth one that I think is is also very popular and just how people understand it, or at least try to understand it, which I don't think he means this at all either, is. Fourthly is we have re- renounced sin at some point in our life, maybe in a public baptism. We've said we don't want to sin anymore. We're being baptized. We're identifying with Christ. There was a moment in our life we said we're, we're done w- w- with sin. Uh, we said no to sinful behavior at, at some point in our lives. Maybe we said made some profession uh, to Jesus. But I don't think that's what Paul means here. Because the problem, what we see later in verses 3 to 5, is that Paul is saying, um, is do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And, and why I say that is because it's what Jesus has done for us. It's not us making a decision and saying publicly, I don't want to sin anymore. I want to be baptized and belong to Jesus. Those aren't bad things. Those are good things. But that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying, now I've made a decision to stop uh, stop sinning, when actually what Paul is saying is, look what Christ has done on your behalf, that he has died, he rose from the dead, so that you would die and you would be raised from the dead, and that sin would have no power over you anymore. So I don't think that's what it means either. And then, then lastly, is we have died to sin means we're no, no longer guilty of sin. Our sins can't condemn us, for they are forgiven in Christ, which is absolutely true. Absolutely true in every way. That that sin doesn't condemn us. Sin doesn't make us guilty anymore because Christ has accomplished. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul's actually explaining the difference the gospel makes in our lives. He's showing how our lives are literally transformed from the inside out, that we have a new character, a new behavior, because sin has been abolished, because we are dead to sin, because we are in Christ. So, so if that was the case, he would just simply restate the truth as the answer. Just, you know, keep telling yourself that. Well, you're dead to sin. It doesn't hold any power of you. But that's not what he's saying here either. So, so what is Paul saying in this foundational truth that you died to sin? that we are dead to sin. What does that mean for us? Well, I think what it means for us is that when you become a disciple of Jesus or a Christian, is that the power of sin no longer has rule or reign or power over you. 
So, so in Romans chapter five, verse 21, it says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading into eternal life through Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. So, so what I think Paul is, is saying and why I began with all these, I don't think these things aren't (laughs) what it means. I think what it does mean is that the rule and reign, the power of sin has lost its grip on us. And we've been given a new power and a new reign, the reign of grace, the reign of Jesus, his presence. Um, Because early on in Romans, when we look at chapter one, is that the default mode of humanity and the default mode of our hearts is to sin is we're by nature sinful. So instead of loving God, instead of honoring God, instead of thanking God, our default mode is to celebrate everything but God, to to live apart from God, to worship God's stuff, his creation, and not the creator. That's what Romans 1 says, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need grace. All of us need mercy. So that's just our, our default mode. But now, sin no longer dominates us. That's no longer our default mode. We have the ability to resist and rebel against sin because we are dead to sin, because Christ died for sin. It's what Paul says in in Colossians uh, chapter 1, that this transfer has happened. In, In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so so there's been a transfer that's happened, that we were in darkness, living for sin, living for self, rebelling against God. Um, and now there's a transfer. We now live in the light. We live with Jesus. We live in a new kingdom that doesn't have that power over us anymore, that, that we have the opportunity to rebel and resist against the power of sin in our lives because we are dead to it in a final way. Now, maybe an illustration would be helpful to, to understand what Paul is saying here. Well, imagine um, a pandemic. I know that's really hard to imagine, but imagine a world where a virus has kind of spread throughout our country, around the world. Uh, people are getting sick and dying. And then uh, imagine some scientists and doctors come up with a vaccine for this this virus and people are beginning to be, become protected and people are getting better. But, but we know that this virus still can poke its head out here and, the, and then and once in a while. That even people that have been vaccinated for diseases, sometimes they still get sick. And sometimes they, they get the disease that they were, they were supposed to not get. So many of us have had flu uh, shots and supposed to be a vaccine, but some of us still get the flu. But in a final way, in an ultimate way, that virus doesn't have the power that it once did. It doesn't have the strength it once did. It doesn't dominate the, the way in which it once did. And in a sense, that's what Paul is saying when he says that we are dead to sin. It doesn't mean that we, we don't sin any longer, or it doesn't mean that, that sin has no power or influence over us because we have the book of Romans right in front of us that's saying, obviously it's still a problem because Paul would have never written these words down if the church didn't still struggle with it. But we know that its power and its influence can be overcome. Is we don't have to swim in this reality of sins. We don't have to breathe its air. We don't have to let it dominate us and direct our lives as it once did. We can now breathe in a different oxygen, the oxygen of Christ, the oxygen of the kingdom. 
So, so I hope that, that that's clear when we understand that, that the foundational truth that you're dead to sin means that it doesn't have ultimate say over us anymore. It doesn't mean we don't sin or struggle or have temptations, but it means that it doesn't have to dictate the trajectory of our lives. We don't have to obey it as we once did. We, we, don't, we don't have to, to let it um, grab our, the hold of our hearts and our minds and our actions and our will as it once did. We can breathe in God's grace and God's presence and God's um, reality. So secondly, how did we die to sin then? If we have this foundational truth that we are dead to sin, which kind of grounds this whole text, but, but how did we actually die to sin? What was the process um, in which that, that happened? And so Paul just brilliantly just keeps moving through the text. And when he gets to, to verse three, he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so Paul's using the, the imagery of baptism to help us understand how we actually died to sin, what Christ actually accomplished and how that works its way into our lives. And, and this is loaded with Jewish and Old Testament and, and the Hebrew scripture, just, just tons of Old Testament imagery, is that we have been buried and raised with Christ is a beautiful picture of what happens in baptism. Is that the imagery of baptism is the idea, the picture of going down into the waters, sin and suffering, going into the waters, then rising up to new life, coming out of the waters, freed, right? Cleansed. That, that, so when we look at baptism, those, all those image, images and metaphors are kind of swirling around when we baptize uh, f- folks. When we put them in the water, we bring them out, we're dying and then we're rising uh, again. But I think what Paul is doing here, because he's a Jewish man rooted in the Jewish scriptures, predominantly Jewish audience, is he's bringing them back to the Exodus story. That, that God hears the cries of his people in, in Egypt. Remember when, when Israel is, is enslaved by Egypt, they, that they're, that they're crying out to God, where are you? Save us from this enemy. And so God rescues them, brings them through what? The Red Sea, <laughs> through the waters of the Red Sea, literally parts the Red Sea, brings them out onto the other side into the promised land. Again, it's the same imagery of baptism. That's where we actually get the imagery of baptism from in the Old Testament. These people in slavery, these people in bondage, they're freed. They go through the waters and they come out the other side. Now they're free people. And then, then God leads them um, as a cloud and a pillar of fire through the wilderness to the promised land. And now what Paul is pointing to is to now all of this, this imagery of freedom and slavery and, 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 and God bringing us to the promised land is now found in Jesus Christ. That he died. That he went through the Red Sea. That, that he went into death. He went into the, the abyss and came out the other side so that we could go into the abyss with him, but also come out the other side forgiven and free and redeemed. And so he's saying, you used to live a different life. How do we die to sin? Well, you used to, Romans 1, you used to love sin. You used to exalt everything else but God. You, you used to, to not thank God and, and, and glorify him and honor him and make him central of your life. But, but, but now you do. You've been delivered from the slavery of sin and death now to the freedom of grace and mercy and love that is found in Christ and redemption that is found in Christ. 
And so as we are united to him, as we are, as a theologian will call, union with Christ, is that as he died and went into the waters, we also died with him. But as he rose and came to new life, we also rise and come to new life. And that's why Paul will constantly say, you're already seated in the heavenly realms. You're already resurrected with Christ. You already belong to him. You're, there's already a place seated for you. That, that What happened to Christ, all the blessings and the promises that were made to Christ are now all yours by faith in him. So something happened. Our status has, has changed. <clears throat> and now we have this new status. And if you keep following uh, Romans, if you keep going through and you get to verse 6, you see how the status has changed. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one has died, has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the old self and the body of sin, the language that Paul's using here, the old self is our old ego, the unregenerate man before Christ. The, the body of sin is our body. It's our, our lives. It doesn't mean our bodies are sinful. It doesn't mean uh, that they don't have any value. Of course not. But, but we sin in our bodies. That's where we sin in our minds, in our hearts, our hands, right? That's where sin manifests itself in our entire Bodies, but Paul is saying a new status has, 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 has happened. And so now all these sinful desires and compulsions, um, that war against Christ and his ways are dead now because Christ has died and you have died with him. And now new affections and new life has come because you've been raised with him. A new power source has come for you. The old self is gone. The body of sin is gone, but a new self has emerged. Paul would say a new creation has emerged. A new person, new character, new behaviors have now come into our lives. And that's why before we're Christians, just our, our sinful nature and identity is just to, to sin. That's just what we do. It's our default mode. It's just all we know. But when we become Christians... Actually, what happens when we commit sin is that we are actually going against our new nature and our new identity. It's not who we are. <clears throat> and so when we sin, we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten our new status as God's free people. That we're dead to sin, that we're alive in Jesus. So instead of living in the freedoms that we have in Christ, instead of living in the, the promised land, we go back into slavery, just like Israel always wanted to go back into slavery in Egypt. That we think, no, maybe it's a little better there. Maybe there's more life there. Maybe if I just dabble over here, life will be better. And so when we, you and I sin, that's what's happening, is we're forgetting that we have died to sin, that we are new creations in Christ. We're living in the old identity, not the new identity. It's a little bit like, um, imagine a, someone owns a house, and it's, it's kind of a broken down house. It's not a great house. Um, and things are leaking. The, the ceiling's leaking and um, water's coming through the foundation. And one day you, you have this opportunity to actually move out of that house. Um, and, and the landlord's not very, very happy with you, but you want to get rid of this house and move into a new house that's not leaking, that's a little bit better. And so you, may, you make the switch. And so 
what happens is as you move into this new house, the landlord comes and knocks on your door and, and says, hey, you, you need to come back to the old house. You need to fix all the stuff that was there. You need to you know, you know, make things right there. And you say, no, 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 that's not, I don't own that. I don't live there anymore. I don't pay rent there anymore. And then he says, okay, well, I guess that's how it's going to be. And he hands you a deed and it says, it is, it's finished. It's paid for. It's, you don't own anything. You're, you're off the books. And so what happens often is that, that sometimes we, we want to go back to the old neighborhood. We want to go back to the old house that even though it's paid off, even though the debts have been paid, even though our names aren't on the contract, every time we sin, we kind of dip our toes back in there saying, no, no, that's not who you are anymore. You have a new house. You have a new home. You have a new way of doing things. You live in a new neighborhood. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You're forgetting who you, who you are. Forgetting who you are. So, so we died to sin because Jesus died and his death becomes our death. We're united to him, but he also rose to new life. And so his resurrection brings us into newness of life. We don't live in the slavery of Egypt of sin and death anymore, but we live in the life of God's promises and in, in the land of promise with Christ now in his presence and his kingdom. So, so what does all this, this mean? What, what are the, the, the realities of and the outworkings of our union with Christ. Because I think there's a lot of implications, and Paul's actually very clear and very practical when it comes to these things. Is it, it, how are our lives supposed to be lived in light of all that Christ has accomplished for us and all that he's done? If we're living in this new promised land, if you will, um, what, does that, what does that mean? If we're dead to sin, how, how do we live that out today? Well, a couple of things. One is verse 11 is really helpful. And, and it says, that so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the, the first place, the implication is we need to recognize or consider our new status daily. That's what Paul says here. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I can only imagine in this church, again, this is not a very old church. The church is only a few years old and they're already forgetting that they're dead to sin and alive to Christ. So, so if they need reminders, how much more do we need reminders, right? So, so he's reminding them and saying, you need to consider that. You need to recognize your status, that you are dead to sin, you're alive to Christ. We, we need to live in it, rejoice in it, apply it, pray it, walk in its realities and its existence, or we're never going to experience the power and the dynamite of the gospel. Our, our behavior and our character will never change if we don't live and consider the realities that you are dead to sin, but alive to Christ. It's a daily reality and it's a daily battle that we have to engage. And, and when we sin, we say that we tell ourselves, that's not who I am anymore. I'm not that old person anymore. I don't live in, in slavery anymore, but I live with Christ. So we need to recognize and consider our new status daily. I, I read an interesting uh, story that, that I think illustrates this really well, is that when the Civil War ended uh, and, and slavery was uh, uh, abolished, it says many of, many of the uh, older slaves, um, when they ran into the, their old masters, who used to be their masters when they were still slaves, that they would begin to tremble and they'd begin to quake at the sight of their masters for obvious reasons. But they had a hard time leaving slavery. That, that even though the, the laws would say slavery's done, slavery's abolished, even though they knew legally they were free and their status had changed, experientially, they were still slaves. 
they were still experiencing their slavery. And see, in the same way, if we don't recognize and consider that we are dead to sin, we can know in our heads that we are free and our status has changed, that we are forgiven, that we are righteous, that we are justified by faith, but experientially we may not experience its power. That we have to constantly, daily recognize and consider the realities of Christ, that we are dead to sin. It's not who we are anymore. It's not who we are anymore. So secondly, secondly is we need to live proactively. Live proactively. What I mean by that? Well, notice what Paul does here in verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So first he says, offer yourselves to God, live and look to Jesus as if this is all true. I was expecting Paul to say, hey, you need to dwell on your sin. You need to fight your sin. You need to focus on your sin. You need to manage your sin. You need to consider your sin. But he doesn't say that. He's actually proactive and says, no, you need to offer yourselves to God proactively, continually offer yourselves. That's Paul will say later in Romans 12, as a living sacrifice to God. We offer our lives to him daily, constantly, proactively, is that we look to Jesus. We, we, we look to the author and the perfecter of our faith. So, so we offer ourselves to God, but he also says we offer our lives as instruments of righteousness. So, so if God's presence and God's reality and, and God's kingdom rules and reigns in us and through us and through his, his, his people, is that, that, that we need to live as if that's true. We need to live as if we've died to sin and we've been resurrected with Christ. We need to live as if Christ did die and Christ did rise so that we could have newness of life. How, do, how What would it look like if we, we offered our lives and our work and our family and our hobbies and our free time and our money and, and we considered daily that we were a dead to sin and alive to Jesus? How would that shape and influence all of the areas of our lives? All of our relationships if we offered our entire bodies being as instruments of righteousness because Jesus is alive and that we are dead to sin? How would we live differently? How would we serve our neighbors? How would we pray if we offered ourselves to God constantly and offered our entire lives to him as instruments of righteousness, instruments of good, instruments of service? That's the implication. That's when the resurrection life gets on the ground. It's not just heady theology, but the fact that we're dead to sin means we're alive and we're freed and we're forgiven, that now we are freed to live for Christ in every area of our lives. And then, and then last, the last little implication that I think is really important for us is that we need to break free from what I call works righteous religion and living. Here's why I say that. I know that's a kind of a mouthful. Um, but, but, but Paul says in verse 14, he says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So this is interesting because Paul's way of understanding how the power of sin is broken is understanding you're not under law, but you're under grace. So Paul in Romans 5, 20 and 21 uses this, this, this idea, and he's used it earlier in the book too, of under sin and under grace or, or under law and under grace. It's, it's, or I should say under, <laughs> under sin or under law. They mean the same thing. 
sin is sin. This is what, why this is important is because when you think about your, your sinful acts and my sinful acts, it's always motivated by something. And so he says, until you understand that this idea of work, works righteous living, works righteousness living, religion or living, until that's broken, you're going to continue on sinning and not know why you're, you're sinning. Here's why. Because we're always trying to justify ourselves in something or someone or some way. We're always trying to find our hope and our identity in people or things or success or status or whatever it is. And so we constantly go back to those things instead of going and finding our true identity, our true hope and our true salvation in Christ and him alone. And so we, we use these, these things as kind of God replacements. So much of our sinning is just God replacements. Jesus isn't enough for me. So I'm going to fill my life with something else that's not him. <laughs> If I could just have a little more money, if I could just have better relationships, if I could just have a better job, if I could just accomplish this goal, whatever that that thing is. So instead of being justified and being satisfied and being content in what Christ has done for us, instead of knowing that we're loved and we're righteous before God because of his work, we're always going to find ways to replace that work with something else. And it's going to undermine and, and, and when we understand that we're loved and, and we're righteous before God, it's going to undermine and sap and kill our motivations to sin. Because our motivations to sin is always Romans 1, worshiping the, crea- the creation and not the creator. It's that great reversal. Instead of thanking God, honoring God for all that he's given us, we take his stuff and we use it to be a God filler. And so Jesus becomes sin for us so that we don't have to live in its power any longer. He's lifted the curse so we don't have to live in its power anymore. Jesus died and we died to him. He was raised so that we could be raised with him, so that the power of sin could be broken. That's what he wanted to accomplish for us on the cross. As we are going to the waters and we are crucified with him as we go down and as we come out with him, resurrected from uh, the dead, we are resurrected with him as well. All the promises that fell on Jesus are all the same promises um, that, that fall on us. And so that's how we live in the realities of the resurrected life, that we are dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ. It doesn't have the power on us and the influence on us and the, the, and it doesn't dictate our lives. Sin doesn't dictate our lives as it once did because of what Jesus has done for us. So New City Church, go in that reality. Go in those truths. Go knowing that you are a new creation, that you are dead to sin, but you are alive in Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Romans 6. Um, thank you for these these deep penetrating, um, robust, beautiful truths that we are dead to sin because Christ died for us. That we are new men and women and children because of what Christ has done for us. That we don't have to, to, to believe the lies that somehow sin still has ultimate say and somehow sin still has the, this ultimate power over us. That we don't have to obey it. That we can rebel against it. That we can walk in newness of life. Help us remember, help us remember daily 
that we have a new status in Christ, that we are dead to sin, but we are alive to Christ. Help us walk that out this week in every part of our, our lives, with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, wherever we find ourselves, even in, in quarantine especially, as our, our, our feelings and our emotions and our worry ramp up. God, help us walk in newness of life and honor you in all things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.